Over the years, I've developed a habit of, if I'm having trouble sleeping, recording a voice memo in the middle of the night to purge my mind of the swirling garbage that's keeping me up. And lately, I've been up a lot, thinking about my health, thinking about my friends who've lost their jobs, and thinking about our economy. And I bet many of you have been up too, thinking about your finances and how we might bounce back from this craziness right now. Here's the memo I left for myself just last night, or more like this morning at 3.45 a.m. So I've been experiencing a lot of sleepless nights lately. COVID-19 has created this whole new type of stress. Not only is there stress from things like social distancing, but also stress of the economy and what that might mean for me, my family, my friends, all of us. Our friends who've lost their jobs, other friends who are worried about their homes. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't scary or affecting me. But there's a silver lining, I think, in all of this. We're choosing what to do with our money now. Maybe we'll be more planful, more careful. And um, it's also making me realize what I'm grateful for. I have a job, and I'm generally healthy. I feel like one of the lucky ones, to tell you the truth. And I don't take that for granted. Let's call that my COVID-19 economic brain dump. Hey, you know what? It actually worked for me. And that's the main thing. It's okay to feel your feelings. It's okay to test out different strategies for your health and well-being. Whatever works for you, I say go for it. Because right now, during COVID-19, this is not normal. No, this, this is beyond normal. Welcome, friends, to Beyond Normal, a podcast that explores what it takes to cultivate and maintain our well-being during this global crisis. My name is Nate Matson, and my team and I work with thought leaders across different facets of health and well-being to better understand and teach each other what it takes to be well in today's world. And let's face it, right now, that can be challenging. We at The Big No believe your well-being consists of six interconnected things. We call them the six pillars of well-being. They're your physical health, your mental and spiritual health, your career health, your relationship health, your financial health, and your overall sense of play. This coronavirus is challenging that whole system. It's making us sick. It's stressing us out. It's making us feel disconnected from each other. And for many of us, it's putting a huge strain on our finances. For some people, it's crushing their finances. And while we've been talking to a lot of experts on the various topics in well-being, Today, I want to focus on money. Whether we like it or not, our personal finances play a pretty important role in our overall well-being. And that's why I'm thrilled about today's guest, author and senior economics contributor for American Public Media's marketplace, Chris Farrell. Chris has been on the front lines talking to people every day about how to think about their finances right now. We'll cover that and some personal finance practices but we'll also cover some of the ways we can lift each other up and give to our communities and loved ones in this era of COVID-19. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. Oh, well, thank you. And I I hope you're well. And I do love the name Beyond Normal because it does capture the time that we're going through right now. This is Beyond Normal. It really is. Um, How are you doing? I, I know because of who you are, people are asking you lots of questions about their finances. And I'm just wondering, what are you hearing? 
you know, I think I'm like everybody, you're sort of in this sense of what is going on, how long is this going to last, as you're mentioning, what about my finances, but what I really do find myself doing is a lot of my work, because at this time, as you mentioned, this is when I really kick in the high gear and the media kicks in the high gear and trying to cover this from all kinds of angles. And also I find myself, and I bet you do are doing the exact same thing, you know, emailing friends, calling friends, calling my family, calling my sons, just checking in. Sometimes it's becoming a shorter and shorter conversation because what we're all realizing what we need to do is check in with each other. How are you doing? What's going on? And a lot of what I do is listen to people and then try if they're my friends or they're my family or people that I know, colleagues, you know, try to be a helpful listener. And then in terms of my work, there's a lot of contradictory information out there. So as you said, you know, it is, it is trying to be a reasonable voice, uh, a voice that tries to say, okay, how can we think about this with all the uncertainty? And you can't eliminate a lot of this uncertainty. So with all this uncertainty, how to kind of operate just as normal as possible in a beyond normal time. And what do you tell people? Like when things are shifting literally every day, how can you make people feel okay? Or what can you tell them to, to sort of ground them? So there's a couple things I think. One is so much of this depends on the uncertainty about the course of the virus and the actions that we're taking to combat that virus. Plus we do have a lot that's going on with the Federal Reserve. They basically, the Federal Reserve has said, we are the lender of last resort to the US economy. And we have, it's remarkable to think, now if you look too much at the sausage making, it can make you a little bit ill, but it is remarkable how fast Congress has moved with a $2 trillion fiscal stimulus package. And think back about 2008, 2009 with the $800 billion fiscal stimulus package at that time and how tough that was and you know how dragged out that was. So I really do think that there is some remarkable momentum. But what about the individual? And I think there's are a couple things that individuals can do. And by the way, this is recognizes we're all at different ages. We all have different finances. Some of us are going paycheck to paycheck. Some of us have some money to draw on. So, you know, these are blanket statements that, you know, hopefully will help but at the same time recognizing that people are very different places in our economy. And one is Think about your own safety net. You know, we always think about well, what's happened to the stock market. Look at the stock market. Look, look how far. What does that mean for your portfolio? And, you know, you can't control that. You can't control what's going to happen in the stock market. It goes up. It goes down. It's incredibly volatile. Think about your own personal safety net, the people you know. And there's this term that we use, this modern business term called network. Your network is part of your safety net. Reach out to your network. Check in. How are they doing? Someone's maybe lost their job. Perhaps you have a job and you can send something their way, or you might have a task and you sort of say, hey, you know, would you like to do this task? Or maybe you just are listening to the person as they vent, which can be really important. So I think my first thing is to say, think about your network, think about the people you know, be thoughtful and systematic about reaching out to them and checking in, how are they doing? If your friends are struggling and if your family's struggling, what can we do? Part of it may just simply be emotional. Part of it may be you start writing some checks. Part of it is you might um, you know, help them think through, well, what is it you could be doing right now? You might be able to do bring in some money at this particular point in time. And the other thing is to sort of say, look, you know, this, this, this is going to end. We know that. And the economy is going to come back. So 
I know this is a tough time, but let's have a conversation about what is it that you really want to do? Because you know, you weren't happy in that job anyway. So let's take the fact that you're confined to your home and you really can't go out except for going to the grocery store or the pharmacy or the liquor store, essential service uh, that we've all learned. Okay, let's have, let's have an ongoing conversation about what do you want to do next? And start reaching out to people and talk to them about it. And it gives you a project, it gives you a task. Because all of us have around our homes, in our work lives, in our personal lives, you know, we have projects on the shelf that we never get to. We keep saying we're going to get to them, but we never quite get to them. So again, I don't want to be, you know, looking at this with some sort of rosy eye and, you know, every crisis is an opportunity, but you're stuck. Take advantage of the time that you have in a world where, you know, introspection and thinking about what comes next, that's really hard. You might be able to do it now. Speaking from personal experience, I'm in my living room right now and you're in your office. How is this pandemic fundamentally changing the way people go to work? I think it is going to have a big effect. I'd be curious what you think, but one of the things that this has really brought to life is inequality in internet access. Ooh, you yeah. have good internet access. I have good internet access. We're able to do our work. We're still going to want to go into work when we can again and be around people. But you know, I think we will move toward a world where the mix of online video and in-person is going to become more complicated. And you're going to have a lot more of the online video. But you're really seeing it with the schools. For some students, online teaching makes a lot of sense, right? But for other students, it's not really possible. So to me, it raises a question. If we're thinking about the future of work, and we call this thing the internet age, the internet age that we live in, can it be that anybody doesn't have access to really good broadband? So I do think that this is going to lead to technology companies are going to become more powerful. We're going to have a lot more broadband. A lot of the arguments about should we invest in rural broadband? Should we invest in broadband in parts of the country that don't have very good broadband? I think that whole debate is going to end. And we are going to do a mix of more work in place and out of our office for those who can. How is this pandemic hitting people at different socioeconomic levels? Because clearly... You and I are able to do our jobs. Many people aren't. And even when we are talking about children going to school, many children have access to the technology they need. Many don't. So how is, how is this pandemic shining a light on the inequalities in this country? So I think it's shining a very bright light. And I think it's going to break through a lot of debates. And we all really became aware of it when how few people have paid sick leave particularly if you think about waiters. I mean, so many people in our economy don't have paid sick leave and we're all going, well, actually we don't want someone who's sick to be coming to work, but they're living paycheck to paycheck. How do we deal with that now? To just, and what we would also learn is you can't just turn to small business and say, hey, you pay for this. What we also learn is how thin are the margins for most small businesses? You know, I think a lot of people don't even realize that most small businesses don't have an IT department. There's no help desk. They don't have a human resources department. Usually human resources is the owner. And there's an expression in the independent restaurant business, the kind of chef driven restaurant business, you know, they're three weeks away from failure and that's how they live. So to simply turn to a small business and say, now you got to pay for pay sick leave. No, we have to socialize this because we all are going to benefit. The reason why I think this is going to have a big impact on our sort of social safety net and our policy, you can't really blame anybody. This is something where you can't say, well, I 
was responsible and you weren't. This is random. Boris Johnson, the prime minister of Britain now has uh, COVID-19. I mean, so this has nothing to do with your behavior, your personal habits. Uh, this just has to be that you walked in the wrong place at the wrong time or traveled to the wrong place at the wrong time. So it's really just bad luck. So I think it will cut through a lot of this blame game and it will say, if you're a paycheck to paycheck worker and you have get a 1099, why shouldn't you get unemployment insurance if you lose your job? Whereas a W-2 worker, if they lose their job, they get unemployment insurance. Is that right? And we've all thought that was wrong. And one of the good things is in the fiscal stimulus is for the first time, that 1099 worker, that gig worker, they have access to unemployment insurance. You, you mentioned a little uh, before about 2008, 2009. How is this different from that one? Can we break that down a little bit? I mean, we started the conversation in the early days. This is not going to be as bad as 2008, 2009. In many ways, this is worse because if you take a look at unemployment claims rising with over 3 million, um, and you look at the unemployment rate that's being forecast that we're going to see, you know, you're not being crazy. If you say, we could have a 20% unemployment rate. Uh, Mr. Bullard, who is the head of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, he said, you know, we could have a 30% unemployment rate. Now, Whenever you have a downturn in the economy, there's always people who are going to say it's a Great Depression, you know, we're going to have this massive unemployment rate. And a lot of mainstream economists are saying, look, depending on how long this virus goes with this uncertainty, we could be talking about 15, 20, 25 percent unemployment rates. So that's why I think it's, this is worse. If you think about the economy. There are numbers, okay, so is the economy going to decline at a 4% rate? Is it going to decline at a 10% rate? It's going to go down at like a 12, 15% rate. But what does that mean? What do those numbers really mean? When you talk about the economy, as far as people care, it's employment. That's what people care about. The last recession was, you know, basically 10% unemployment. We're going to be higher than that this time. So in my definition, this is worse. The difference is our financial institutions are healthier than they were back in 2008, 2009. And we don't have the implosion in the home market, which took the economy down. But think about that time. The problem was concentrating the home market. And yet we couldn't really bail out the homeowner because people would be saying, well, look, I was responsible for my mortgage. Why should I bail out this person over here that borrowed too much money? This time, you can't have that conversation. We're on in this all together. So that's why I think this is a more significant downturn than 2008, 2009, not minimizing what happened back then. What's interesting is, uh, speaking from a personal experience, I was going to buy a house before this, and now I don't know what to do. How is that sort of un uneasiness with the way people should invest? Well, uh, even if people have savings and things to do, what should we do right now? Whatever preserves your financial position at this time of uncertainty, and it's unclear how long this downturn lasts. The role of the federal government and the state government and the Federal Reserve is to counteract what you're doing. What you're doing is absolutely right. We're not hearing this time around, you know, go shopping, which is what we normally hear during a downturn. This is your patriotic duty. Right now, we're trying to slow things down. So you have to behave in the, exactly the way that you're doing, which is why we have this $2 trillion fiscal stimulus coming to this economy to offset some of what you're doing. A question I bet you get all the time, what should I do with my 401k? So as far as your 401k, at this point, I would just leave it alone. Just look at it if you want to, if you want to torture yourself, that's fine. But 
it also depends on what stage of life are you in. So if you're, um, you know, in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and you hadn't didn't do anything beforehand, you just ride this out. And there, what you try and do is write to yourself, put it on your refrigerator. I really didn't want to be this exposed to the market because we know there's going to be another bear market. Bear markets are not an unusual thing. They happen. This one took a long time to get to this bear market, but they just happen. So if you go through this experience wishing, oh, I just wish that I was not so exposed to the stock market. When times get good, remember that and reduce your exposure to the stock market. If you're nearing retirement, what you want to do is look at your household finances and say, where am I most vulnerable? So for a lot of Americans, most vulnerable is they carrying too much credit card debt. If you're 55 and you lose your job, we do know that it's very hard to get another job if you're between that sort of 55 and over, um, that you're more likely to enter the ranks of the long-term unemployed. So if it's paying down credit card debt, you're tightening down, you're not buying your house, you're paying instead, you're taking some of that cash, paying down your credit card debt. Or, you know, what I really need to focus on is figuring out, okay, how much can I cut back? But then what am I, how am I gonna bring in an income? if I do lose my job, assuming that this does end, which it will, what, you know, can I activate my network? Can I sort of establish a pattern so that when times do get better and people are starting to hire, I can go, hey, you know what? I have experience, I have skill, I have knowledge, I can solve your problems and that you can get yourself a job reasonably quickly. Um, so it's sort of like looking at your household, where does your risk really lie? and then attack that particular risk. And there's a psychological benefit to that. You can't control that stock market. You just can't. You can't control when this economy rebounds, but you can do some things in your home that will at least give you some sense of control. I like that, the idea of control. And I also like this idea of using this as an opportunity, look for new ways potentially to make money. What are some ways we can set ourselves up for success when this is all over? So what's the standard advice? And the standard advice, sometimes standard advice is really good. So if you were, let's abstract from the economy for a moment, and you came to me or, uh, and you said, you know, I think I need to be thinking about doing something else. We talk about, okay, so what is it you really want to do? Let's spend some time on some introspection. And then the thing is, we all have our own delusions, right? We all have our sense of what we're good at. And that's what your network becomes important because your network will also tell you, you know, you think you're good at that. Guess what? You're really not. But this is what you're really good at. You are a communicator. You know how to talk to people. So a communicator is a skill. It's not a job title. It's a skill. So you start thinking about what is it I want to be doing? You tap into your network to help you think that through and get that feedback. And you reach and your network is, you know, your, you know, call up your former college roommate and say, hey, at one o'clock in the morning, what did I say I wanted to do with life? What was, you know, you probably said something really important to me. Right? And, or, you know, you have a peer and a peer is doing something that you kind of, you kind of like, that's kind of cool. Call them up and say, how did you do this? I mean, what were the steps? You know, how did this come about? And then here's the thing. Very few people actually get a job applying to human resources and going through the algorithms. People get a job through their network. Somebody saying third, sixth degree of separation. Hey, you know, I think you should talk to this person because, you know, you might be able to help each other out. So 
I, it's really all about your network. And I don't think that it actually changes. So if you're thinking about starting a business or you're building your brand or, um, you know, just kind of trying to have a voice that's out there or you have some stuff that uh, an expertise that you might want to sell. The one nice thing about the internet, it is allows for low cost experimentation. So do some low cost experimentation and what, you, what are you going to lose? You're going to lose time. So do some experiments. Is there things that you can do online? Can you reach out? Can you tie into LinkedIn? Are there people that you can help them out? Think of this as a period of time to build an information flow and to test things out and to experiment and to have those conversations. And even if they're unsatisfactory, you know what you've done? You told your network, hey, I'm, I'm trying to think of something else. And it may not happen right away, but you know, they care about you. They're gonna be thinking about you and they might be having a conversation that has nothing to do with you. And they'll go, oh, wait a minute. You know, you should hook up with so-and-so because she knows how to do this kind of technology. And that's exactly what you need. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And what's, what's so ironic about that is yesterday we inter interviewed somebody else and she said she had to pivot within 20, you know, 28, 48 hours her entire business model. She was used to being a public speaker and uh, she's an author, things like that. But now she's offering webinars. A week ago, that was nothing she would have ever done. And I, I think there's a lot, a lot of people think about the fitness industry, for example. Two nights ago, I did yoga from my living room with my yoga studio. And to be honest, I kind of like doing yoga at home <laughs> online. And I was thinking, I hope some of these things stay. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about sort of the fundamental shifts in, in the way that we go to work. There's a lot of good to come from this as well, I think. What are some no-nonsense sort of uh, financial things that we all can do that whether we're in a pandemic or not, these are just good practices to continue doing? So there's a couple things that, that we really know. And, you know, part of it is create a budget. Now, the thing about budgeting is there's no reason to do a budget month after month after month. Budget is a tool that just lets you know what's coming in, what's going out, and where am I spending my money? Where can I cut back if that's what you need to be doing, which is a lot of people are doing. So budgeting is just a really good exercise to orient yourself. Once you have a budget and you kind of set yourself up, for most people, it doesn't matter whether one month you spend a fortune on Netflix and the other month you spend a fortune uh, doing takeout. But as long as your budget works, do a budget, do some risk scenarios in terms of your job. And if, you, if your job goes to part-time, if you get furloughed, what are the steps that you're going to take? You'd mention if you get the money from the fiscal stimulus, where's that going to go? What's the best use of that money? And I think for a lot of people, you want to use this time. We all know we need to be living a more frugal life. And frugal in the good sense of the word, not frugal in the sense of cheap. This isn't about how many uh, tuna casseroles can I eat, but it is about thinking about what, where do I want my money to go? I'm making a little bit of a V here, but I think the core of financial planning is giving. Mm -hmm. And if you think about when you give, you ask yourself, okay, well, what's important to me? How would I like the world to be a better place? What kind of legacy would I like to leave to this world? What do I think is important? How can I help make a difference? So you ask all the really important questions when you're giving. Why not ask those same questions when you're spending? That doesn't mean you aren't going to spend. That doesn't mean you aren't cheap. But it does mean that you want to say, well, 
do I want to support this organization? Do I want to support this business? You know, I shifted a lot as much as possible to supporting local small businesses in my neighborhood. I like supporting local small businesses in my neighborhood. I like my money going to them. If does it cost me a little bit more? Sure. But I want them to stay in business. Um, and the same thing when you're investing. So if you put giving at the core, you do your budget, and then you think about what is it that really matters to me? And then where am I spending my money? So it's taking this time to orient yourself toward frugality, toward thrift, but not toward cheapness. And I think a better word to think about it is something we're all trying to do is how can I behave in a more sustainable fashion? How can I be more conscious of this planet, conscious of global climate change, conscious of, you know, trying to support the health of my local community, that the sort of sustainability ethic. Freedom is a low overhead. It's having fewer expenses. The expenses I have, I really enjoy, but it's having fewer of them. It's really becoming a values conversation. This pandemic is challenging us all to ask ourselves, what's important to us? What matters to me? And how can I ensure that those things survive through this? And one of the way of thinking, what is personal finance? So a definition of personal finance is you think about values and you, that's where you really focus. You think about it. That's why I emphasize giving. And then personal finance is marrying your money to those values. And it's never perfect. And all of us have had a period of time in our lives when you know, you're working to pay the bills. I mean, you just, that's what you got to do. We may be many people right now are in that period of time where, you know, it's all about paying the bills. Nonetheless, that's not what personal finance is. Personal finance is I have these values. I have these goals. I have this vision of what life should be. And then I'm going to take my money, my resources, and I'm going to try and fit those two together. And it's a journey. And it changes depending on your circumstances, but that's the journey to have. If people want to give, but right now they're not particularly in a position to give financially, what are some other ways that we can give right now? Talk, reach out, reach out to people that you know, have a conversation, ask them, can I do something for you? Now we're all restrained and limited in what we can do. You know, just, I think, reach out, call up some of the organization that you care about and say, look, I don't have money. But I know you had to lay off a bunch of actors. I know you had to lay off a bunch of your waiters. Is there something I can do? But I think the big thing that we can really do, all of us, is our broad network, but really expand what that network is uh, in terms of our broad network. Reach out, talk, and ask everyone you talk to that exact question. There's this great thing in, uh, in journalism. Um, Haberstrom was a great legendary, David Haberstrom, legendary journalist, wrote some uh, great works about Vietnam and uh, just a legendary journalist. And he said that the most important thing for a journalist, the most important question for any journalist is at the end of an interview, you ask somebody, who else should I talk to? And he said, that's how I always got my best leads. So I think when you're having a conversation with your boss, with your colleagues, with your partner, it's what can I do? How can I help? And I think a lot of times it's just going to be a conversation, but it might be that somebody says, you know, I know somebody over here that would really like to know, how do you, how do you set up a podcast? Would you mind taking, you know, 15 minutes and just kind of run through some stuff with them? Hey, you may be making somebody's week by simply yeah. taking 15 minutes out, passing on some knowledge. You never get anything back from this. This person never gets back in touch with you, but nonetheless, what you did 
is you help somebody out. They learn from you and you gave. That, that's a great segue into the silver lining, which is now that question everybody's asking, but what, how will we be better on the other end of this? What, what shifts will be made that might fundamentally change the way we look at our money, just make the world a better place? So what I really hope on the public policy room, that this really will change a lot of our conversation. I just think that inequality, the conversation about inequality is often an abstract conversation. What is inequality? I mean, we know what it is and we've given the numbers and we know it's not a good thing, but here it's concrete. People don't have paid sick leave. Wait a second. Uh, people don't have access to the internet. Now I'm, it's not an abstract conversation here. So I really hope that what we do is it changes our conversation about the social safety net. And what I really hope is that it sort of changes our conversation about work. Because, you know, most people spend a majority of their life, the majority of their day at work. Many people are unhappy about the work that they're doing. Some people in certain industries just worked way too many hours and burnout is just such a factor. And then other people don't have enough work and they don't work in organizations where management actually cares whether they exist or they don't exist. And so what I really hope is this sense of, you know, this work thing is really important. And it's important to our psychological health. It's important to our emotional health. Oh yeah, it is also important to our financial health, but we know that. But work is also a community. Work is, um, you know, people care whether you show up. People care whether uh, you can do your job. Uh, people like to gossip. People don't like each other. It's work. It's a community. Mm -hmm. And so I hope we get this better sense of community, work, and not so much of, a better balance between work and life that is often talked about, but more of a sense of a lot of values that really matter. Mm -hmm. And family is one, friends is another, work is another. It's not that I want a better balance between them. I want to recognize these and I want to be more engaged. So the public policy realm, I'm really uh, hopeful on, but I also would like to see a change in our conversation about um, what we get out of work and what we contribute into work and move it away from thinking about how big is my bank account and more about what is it, am I being creative? Am I being autonomous? And how do we have that conversation on an assembly line? How do we have that conversation in a retail store? How do we have that conversation in a restaurant? And I think we are going to have those conversations. We like to leave listeners with one thing that they can do or a couple things that they can do, small improvements that they can implement today right when they're done listening to this podcast. What's one thing or a couple things people can do to improve their personal finances today? It's really taking the time right now to actually figure out what are your personal finances. And I know that sounds simplistic, but something that's simple isn't always easy. And most of us, we kind of operate on a, yeah, this is coming in, this is going out. Ah, yeah, I can afford that. Okay, maybe I can't afford that. This is actually a time when you want to be a little more precise. You want to be armed with information. Information is knowledge, or at least information is a foundation. Data is a foundation for making judgments and exercises uh, with your money. And then start going through your credit card statements, your finances, in today's world, it doesn't take that long to figure out what's going on. And then I think that will give you at least a sense of, I know where I am. I know what my position is. I shouldn't be too surprised. And I can start thinking about realistically 
what it is I need to do next, or at least be prepared to do next. Excellent, Chris. I have one more question for you. Who else should I talk to? Ah, there's so many people that you should talk to. Ah, there's so many good people. Ah, you know who I would, I think, be very interesting. I'd be very curious to talk to an entrepreneur. I, I, I'm really interested in how these entrepreneurs yeah. and how these small businesses, what are they doing? And yeah. how are they managing through this time? Awesome. Hey, I'm so happy that we were able to talk today. But before we end, Chris, tell the people how they can listen to you and how they can connect with you. I'm on Marketplace Morning Report every other week. And I'm on Minnesota Public Radio. I'll be on Minnesota Public Radio every Monday on the Angela Davis Show, talking about the economy for at least a short period of time. So you'll be able to hear me then. You can buy my book, Purpose and a Paycheck. Uh, it's always nice for an author when a, when a sale goes through. I have a website, so chrisfarrell.net. And um, I also write a column for PBS Next Avenue and a personal finance column for the Star Tribune. So there's actually a lot of ways to find me. And I post everything on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Well, that brings us to the end. Thanks, Chris, for sharing your amazing wisdom and insights with us today. I am truly grateful. If you wanna learn more about finances from Chris, The Big No has a suite of online courses that encompasses the various pillars of well-being. And Chris has an amazing online course about personal finances. In it, Chris talks about frugality, saving for emergencies, saving for retirement, and he offers just a ton of great tips and tricks for helping your money work for you today and in the future. Look, I know we all just wanna get back to normal, but that normal, it's over. And while that might be hard to hear, if we really think about it, for a lot of us, normal wasn't working in the first place. Normal was making us sad. Normal was making us sick. Normal was making us tired and bored. We can do way better. We can go beyond normal. Beyond Normal is a production of The Big No, where renowned experts teach the skills of health and well-being on demand. You can learn more about our licensable and custom health content solutions at thebigno.com. That's thebigknow.com. Much love to the people who make this podcast happen. Beyond Normal is produced by me and Tom Godfrey. Assistant producer is TMR. Intro music is provided by premiumbeat.com. And the show is edited by Damon Kaler. I'm Nate Matson. Goodbye. <laughs>